And uh, yeah, it's wonderful. We are in the start of our series. Uh, Phil preached last week on Abraham, and so our summer series is called Relentless, and we're looking at nine stories um, surrounding this idea of God's relentless love, uh, relentless grace, and how he shows us that even as we see it in the Old Testament and we see it today, and then how that affects people, specific characters in the Old Testament. So today we're going to be camping out in Jacob, and I'm, I'm excited to share that with you. And a special welcome to those who are watching online. And uh, I know that the recording has just started, so this is a cave. Just in case you're wondering, this has what on earth is going on if you're watching online. It's, uh, I've preached in lots of places, but not a green cave before, so I'm excited to do it. Here's what I, one of the things I love about being a pastor and about being uh, in church is we're all just so strange and odd and different, aren't we? Well, you know, come on, let's admit, the ones who went quiet, you're probably the strangest and the oddest, who knows? But, uh, you know, we've got different races, we have different sexes, we have different backgrounds, experiences. Some of you just seem to be almost like born a Christian, Others of you, you know, it took you a while before, uh, before you came around and, and uh, until finally Jesus slammed into your life and changed you forever. We've got different experiences and uh, we're all really, really different. We worship in different ways. Some of you want to run around and shake your arms around and clap and scream and holler and, and then kind of figure out why aren't other people like me? And then the others of you just want to be quiet and want to just sit and enjoy God's presence. And that's what church is all about, bringing together all this eclectic group and enjoying each other's presence, but also enjoying God. He's made us so different. One of the things, though, and one of many things that makes us very common is we love spirituality. We love, we love even if we're uh, uh, not Christian, even if you're just part of the culture and you're on a, a journey, that the idea of spirituality is something as humans we, we love. But there's a very famous quote that I want to show you from the famous playwright, Frank Wedekind. And, and he said this, I'm sure you've heard it before, God made man in his own image and man returned the favor. We love spirituality, but we kind of want it on our own terms. We're all so different, but we want God on our own terms. We, if we're honest, in many ways, we want a God who is an all-powerful version of ourselves. You see, we don't like the idea that God might have different values or different plans or different thoughts or different ways. We want a God who is, has the same opinion as ours. The same plan, the same thoughts, because we don't like to be challenged. We don't like to have God or anybody come into our lives and say, maybe the way you're thinking is not right. Maybe your plan isn't the best. We don't like that. And yet God is all-powerful, he is omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he is, he is almighty, he's far above us, and his standard of perfection is far above our standard, and so we have two very different paradigms clashing in the middle, there's mine, and, and then there's God and what he says in the Bible, and it's a wrestle. And some of you are going to be wrestling this morning. Some of you are wrestling with the whole idea of faith Whether it's Jesus or not, just the idea, is there a God? Some of you are a little more agnostic perhaps and you believe there is a God, but just this all-powerful force 
Some of you have been Christians a long, long time and you are struggling, you're wrestling, you're, you're finding it difficult. And I want to be very sensitive to that this morning while acknowledging that, that often the wrestle is born out of this idea that God's ways have to be like our ways. Some of us are praying for loved ones who, who uh, seem to be so far away from the Jesus we love passionately and we, we don't understand why God just doesn't save them now. Come on, God, what's, what's your problem? You know, I have a whole list of people I want to see come to know Jesus and just, you know, just line them up, God, zap them, let's get going. Why, why are we taking so long? It's a wrestle. We pray and we cry out to a God that seems so confusing sometimes. It's a wrestle when we read the Bible and we see theology, beautiful theology, beautiful ideas that seem so alien to what we think is fair, what we think is right, and yet I love the fact that God puts it in words and is unapologetic about it. This is his word, this is his way, this is his command, and Glenn, if you don't like it, I'm okay with that. I'm all right that you're going to wrestle and stay awake at night and struggle through some of the doctrines that seem a little tougher, some of the values, especially in our culture that seems so contrary to much of what the Bible would say is absolute truth. It's a wrestle. And then there's my own plans and your plans for life. That mine, we, we live in a culture that loves the three, six-month strategy and planning and vision and one year, three year, five year. And, and we bring our children up to have this beautiful dream as to what they're going to do. And if it's not their dream, we'll give them one. Doctor, you should be a doctor, lawyer. Because if you, if you get lots of money, then you can, you can serve the Lord in any way that you want. We have these ideas We press them onto our children and we nudge them on the way and sometimes push them and sometimes pick them up and throw them. (laughs) Figuratively speaking, of course, unless you have more than three children like I do and sometimes it is grab and go. (laughs) We like our plans and then God comes along and goes, "Mm, no, I have a better way and you're going to wrestle your way through it and it's going to be a struggle but you're going to be better because of it. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. And we come to Jacob, and his whole family is a family of wrestlers. You see, he's this grandson of Abraham who'd been given this incredible promise of, of, of a generation upon generation of blessed people. And then, and then we have Isaac, his son, who had been given a promise. And, and Isaac had been told that, that Jacob was going to be the one. And, 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 and so the, Jacob is brought up with his, with his twin Esau. And there's this sibling rivalry all the time. There's this wrestle from Isaac wanting Esau to be the one while knowing God's plan is different. He's just pushing on with his plan. And these two boys, so different. You got Esau, who's your kind of, I think Esau would be a, would be a good all-out Canadian guy. You know, he likes his hunting, he likes his trucks, he's, he likes his multi-tools and knives on his belt. You know, he likes to, you know, he doesn't watch chick flicks, it's, it's kind of it's grunt. You know, his, his beer with his buddies, non-alcoholic obviously, we're in church. You know, this is, this is what Esau would have been like. And then you've got Jacob. 
Jacob's a lot more kind of, he'd be the artistic one. He'd be kind of, he'd like Pinterest and cupcakes and poetry and chick flicks and, you know, that's, that's Jacob. He'd, he'd sit and just wonder and think and marvel and while Esau's out killing stuff. You know, you got these two boys so different. Can I tell you, God doesn't do boring, does he? You know, I love church because it's not boring. I love that God has made us so different. I love that in Psalm 139, he, he, he talks about how he has made us and formed us and, and he's thought about us. And it talks about how he's actually formed us. That literally means that God has decided what you're going to look like. Like in your mother's womb, God decided your height, what you were gonna, what your color eyes you had, what color hair you had, what your statue was gonna be. Now, some of you really disagree and wrestle with that. Try and change it, kind of hide it a bit and put stuff on it, and you know, like God made no mistake with you. You are not an accident. The culture will tell you you are some chemical accident, and God will say no. I thought about you. It's not like God was in heaven one day trying to figure out what you're going to look like and forming you, and then the angel Gabriel distracts him, and he kind of goes, what? And pushes you, and you know, oh, oh, we'll just send them off anyway. <laughs> They'll live with it. He formed you. We're quiet, we're loud, we've got different personalities, but he does want to change us into the image of his son. And that's a wrestle. And so Jacob has this, this mom and a dad who seem to have favorites. I have four children. And I've been asked the question lots of times, Dad, who's your favorite? And the answer is always the same, your mom. <laughs> always. Oh, Dad, you're my favorite eight-year-old. You're my favorite Jack. You know, but these two parents had their favorites. See, Rachel loved Jacob and wanted to push him forward. And and, and Isaac loved Esau and pushed him forward. It says in Genesis 25, verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So you know the story. Jacob ended up getting the birthright from Esau, got the blessing from his dad. And it was very deceptive the way that Rachel and Jacob planned it. And, and so Esau promised that he was going to chase him down in his Ford F-150 and kill him. It's deep in the Hebrew, that bit. But it was going to kill him. And so Jacob ran and spent 20 years running. He stumbled upon a family that was led by a man called Laban, and he worked for 14 years at the end of the day for his two wives, and that's a whole other story. But now comes the point where Jacob is returning to his homeland because he knows he has to return in order to claim the birthright. But he's got a problem, and the problem is Esau. And so if we pick it up in Genesis 32 and verse 22, and it says this, The same night he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left, what was he left? Everyone? Alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. 
Can I tell you that Jacob's problem was not Esau. It wasn't his mom and dad being playing favorites. It wasn't his history or the struggles he had as a kid or being misunderstood. It was none of those things. Jacob's problem was himself. And God got him alone because before anything else needed to be done, Jacob had to be addressed. God will get you positioned alone. He will strip away everything that you rely on that you might control and might manipulate just like Jacob. He will strip away your plan. He will strip away everything. Sometimes he will strip away your health. Because it says in Psalms 23 that he makes you lie down by still waters. You might not do it willingly. He will make you lie down. He will position you. See, our lives are filled with distractions. I thought when I was young that I was busy. In my 20s, I thought I was busy. Young family, running around. It was busy. And I thought, man, I'm looking forward to this stage because it's going to get less busy. And then I hit my 30s. Just got busier. Now I'm in my 40s. It's just as busy. I have grown up. Three grown-up children, one younger one. Man, it's still busy. It's different, but it's busy. Please do not believe the lie that when you get life out of the way, somehow you'll have time for God. See, the world and the culture and Satan will do everything he possibly can to fill your life with distractions to keep you from wanting to be alone with God because it's when you're alone with God that you come full face to who you really are. Because you can't hide from God. See, Jacob couldn't run from God. He couldn't run from God. He could run from everything but God. And you might be here this morning and it's the first time you've been in church for years. Maybe you're visiting your family and you're just like, oh, begrudgingly, fine, I'll go. I'll go for the kids. Can I tell you, God will relentlessly chase you down. What does that look like? That constant struggle that you cannot escape, that you are trying to fill in with busyness and distractions. And our culture is fantastic at providing us distractions, even when we are alone. I haven't got mine on me, but my phone. How many of you remember the, 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 in Britain we had the dial phones? You had those in Canada, where you kind of go, and you were hoping they would, you wouldn't have to put a zero in? Zero. <laughs> Things were just slower. I remember my dad got a mobile, the first mobile phone. He was a police officer. He brought it home. It was literally the size of a car battery with an actual old-fashioned phone on the top of it. How many of you remember those? And he had to carry it around like this. It's not very mobile. You couldn't run with it. There was no apps. Some of you were looking at me going, you are so old. And then the phones got smaller and now they're getting bigger. <laughs> and we have, so even when we're alone, we're distracted constantly. Have you noticed that? God got Jacob alone. I want to be careful and sensitive as to how I address this next bit. Because there are times when disaster falls on our lives. But I want to ask you, is the disaster just a disaster? Or is it actually some kind of divine plan to get you alone? A year last March, I got alone. 
Many of you, and I'm very thankful for the way that you prayed for me and my family, but I, uh, I, my adrenal gland failed because of various situations and challenges that I, I had that essentially was that I was just filling my life up with so much busyness that my adrenal gland just gave up. And fatigue descended, depression descended, anxiety, anger descended, bitterness, bitterness descended. Combined with a sense of hypocrisy, because you're a pastor, Glenn, <laughs> you don't get to feel this way. Because Jesus is so beautiful and wonderful all the time. You, Glenn, you should be walking around on a pink fluffy cloud all the time, looking like you belong in an aftershave advert. That, that, that's what you should be like, Glenn. You don't get to be depressed. But because of overwork through my own drive and determination, and I could argue it was all to see people come to know Jesus. I just wanted the church to grow. I wanted more people to come to know Jesus. I drove and drove and drove until God said, okay, enough. And I'm very thankful that I'm in a church that loved me and my family enough to say, we're going to give you the time. But God got me alone. And I remember walking with Phil a couple of weeks after that. It was hard for me to come and tell my friends, you know, I can't do this. Because I was a proud man. And I remember walking and just not being able to speak because I was crying. Like, come on, can I suck it up? I used to play rugby, come on. Rugby players don't cry. It's just broken. And some of you are there. Some of you feel broken, some of you are wrestling, some of you are doing a really rubbish job at covering it up. God will get you alone because that is the best place to be with God. And he's positioning you, and maybe he's positioning a loved one of yours, where it just seems like, God, why didn't I not just come to know you? Maybe he's just positioning you. And positioning them just for the right moment. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. Maybe he knows what he's doing. Why? Because he loves us. So much in verse 24. Jacob was left alone. And a man that was Jesus, the angel of the Lord, wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now you're probably thinking, hang on a second, if this is Jesus, how come Jacob could make Jesus tap out? Do you know that whole scripture in the New Testament where it says you keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep wrestling, keep praying until eventually God seemingly relents? Do you think that's because God needs to be convinced? Or is it possible that God is allowing us to wrestle before our own good? So that Jacob for the rest of his life would know that if he kept wrestling, eventually he would hold on to the blessing that God had for him. To keep going, keep going, keep going. And God relented. Verse 26, then he said, let me go for the day has broken. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He'd been wanting this blessing his whole life. So give me the blessing now. Verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life 
has been delivered. Why is it that God allows us to wrestle? Why is it that he puts us flat on our back sometimes? Because he loves us. God's grace is relentless and he will confront us primarily with the gospel. Week in, week out, if you come to this church, you are going to hear Phil or myself on this stage preaching an offensive message. The Bible says that the gospel is an offense to us because it confronts us with ourselves. The reality of who we are, the struggles that we actually have, the internal shame, the things that we're trying to just forget about. We're we're faced with ourselves when we come to the cross, when we see what Jesus did on the cross. And it's offensive to us. The Bible says it is. Because we talk about sin, we talk about wrath, we talk about punishment, but then we talk about God's love and his son Jesus who took all that so that we could have freedom, so this blessing. God is too loving to leave you alone because you're just not good enough at fixing yourself. He loves us too much. You know, if your kid runs into a street, you're not going to shrug your shoulders and go, well, they'll learn. You're going to shout and scream, stop. See, God loves you too much just to let you go and do whatever you want. He might make you feel like you're that way, but you know, one of the pictures that my wife was given about one of our children a little while back was, you remember those safety reins you have on toddlers? You know, we, we, like, reins weren't enough for a couple of our kids. We needed chains. You know, it's just that. You kind of got hold of them, and, then, and they're running, and they always lean at this angle as they're running away from you. You know the ones that I mean? Then what happens? They, they trip, and what do you do? You, you yank them up, so then they're like this in midair. Their legs still going, and then you put them gently on the ground, and off they go again. They think they have freedom, but they're always being held. Can I tell you that may be a word for you and your loved ones this morning? They might think they're running, doing whatever they want to do. Can I tell you, if God's given you a promise for that kid, it's just like he's got safety reins. And the day will come. By faith, you'll believe in it and you've been promised for it. God's going to go, okay, enough. You're mine. You see, there is this love where God will not leave us alone. There is growth in the wrestle. It's only when we wrestle with God that we grow. If I sat down and listened to your stories, Christians who have been a Christian a long time, I am very confident that you will tell me and point out the times in your life of the greatest difficulty, but also the greatest growth. Comfort is the worst thing for a Christian. Remember David sat on the rooftop Comfortable as a king when his army was out fighting where he should have been. He should have been struggling and wrestling and fighting, but he was back in the palace being disobedient. And he's on the rooftop, and it's in his comfort that he looks across the rooftops and sees Bathsheba, and then the sin starts. Comfort for a Christian is the worst place to be. We have been created to struggle. We need that wrestle. Can I encourage you, that wrestle you are feeling this morning that seems so hard. You need that. She says, growth in the wrestle. And then Jacob says, but Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Hold on, Christian. Hold on. Hold on. Keep going. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep getting up in the morning and reading your Bible. Keep coming to church. 
See, everything that you are going through is preparing you for what you have already prayed for. Let me say that again. Everything you are going through is preparation for what you have already prayed for. That seems like a strange thing to say, but think about what Jacob wanted more than anything. He wanted blessing. And so the struggle was to get him that blessing, that very thing that he was prayed for. So what have you prayed for? Have you prayed for more love and patience? Have you prayed for humility? Well, buckle up. Because God will put you through something that humility will emerge from. That's how he works. So what you're going through is preparation for the very thing that you have prayed for. Because he loves you that much. And it will leave you different. See, verse 31, the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel and limping because of his hip... Verse 32, therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. When you wrestle with God, when you go through these challenges, you're left marked. You're left marked. You're left with scars. Some of you have actual scars. Some of you have been through the most horrendous abuse and circumstances has left you scarred. And you kind of limp with that. That's your limp. A constant reminder. A constant reminder of what somebody has done to you. Maybe some of you got a scar or a limp that can't be seen. But it's a constant reminder. And, and you know, unless we bring that to God and wrestle it with Him then all it will do is remind you of the guilt and the shame that resulted from the original injury. And you live with that, and you try and counsel it away, or you try and self-help it away, or you try and yoga it away, or you try and gym it away, or work it away, or business it away, or money it away, or whatever it might be, and you try and get rid of that guilt, that shame, that scar that is inside of you that you know is there. And all the time, God... Saying, come to me, if you are heavy laden, then I will give you rest. And I'll use that limp. I'll use that scar. I'll use it. Because God loves to use broken people. He loves to use that have gone through experiences and challenges, whether before a Christian or as a Christian. But Christians, can I tell you, if you are living with something and you have not brought it to God and you have not wrestled it through, then today is the day that you can come and have that redeemed. This constant reminder that you can't do it yourself. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Peter because he just seemed to be like this village idiot running around just bumping into stuff and always blundering around. And, and, I, and I think we have the wrong vision of what these disciples were like. Think about a big group of guys camping all the time. Can you imagine sitting around a campfire with Jesus and Peter and John and all this weird and eclectic group? I don't think they sat there with their hands clasped, looking spiritual and praying all the time. I'm pretty sure there was joking. There was, you know, I'm pretty sure that they had funny stories. I love the idea of Jesus just rolling about laughing because of them saying something crazy that Peter did earlier on in the day. They, these were just guys. They were friends. 
And then the lowest point in Peter's life, I believe, is when he denied Jesus and said, I don't know him. And Jesus, it says in Luke 22, the final time when Peter says, I don't know him. It says this in verse 61 of Luke 22. It says, just as that time, Jesus was being taken through the courtyard and he turns and he looks at Peter. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt? And I have often wondered, and I've, I've meditated on this verse a lot over the last year. What was Jesus thinking? What was he looking at when he saw Peter? That scarred, limping, pathetic individual who just let him down. I knew it. I knew you would let me down, Peter. You're a rubbish individual. You're useless. You know, Jesus wasn't thinking that. I think, maybe, and I'll find out in heaven one day, I wonder whether Jesus thought, upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. You see, Jesus has this amazing ability to take the scars and the limps and the wrestling and the hardship and all those experiences and all that shame and all that guilt, and he forgives it and he redeems it, and then he says, now we'll use who you are and I will do great things through you. Because he sees us in a way that we do not see ourselves. And he turns that swagger that we have in our life into a limp. And he goes, now I'll use you. And people will see that limp and they'll ask. And in verse 27 he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. As soon as he said Jacob, this is Jesus saying, look, let's just confess what's actually going on here. You're a deceiver. That's what Jacob means. You're a manipulator. It means heel grabber. So Jacob has to verbalize the issues he has. And then Jesus says, no, your name's going to be different. Peter, you're going to be the rock. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your identity. I'm going to give you a whole new life. And as I think about who might be in this room today, I think there are those who are trying really hard to just run away from God and do it their own thing. God is just continually, relentlessly chasing after you. Not in a desperate, needy kind of way. In a very purposeful, there's no way you're going to escape me kind of way. It's a very different run. Have you ever been chased? Like, really chased? This isn't a jog through the park. I'm going to get you. Because he loves you. Because he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. And Pastor Phil, I I get to go and preach this again at the South, which is why you see us leaving pretty quick in the mornings. But Pastor Phil, I know, is going to pray for you later for that. Come to him. Let's stop the chase. And I think there are Christians in this room who, the very thing that you are desperate for, the blessing of God, the presence of God, The love of God. It's gone cold. In Revelation 3 it says you've forgotten your first love. It just doesn't feel right. God's saying, come. Come to me. Let's stop the wrestling. Let's stop the trying to fix it yourself. Because you can't. Come to me. You see, Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to give you the blessing you don't. That's what's on offer this morning, and that's what I love about the gospel. 
It's offensive because it means that I have to confess who I really am. But it's beautiful because God just gives me the blessing that I truly want. And you know, we had a beautiful time here last night and many people were prayed for and praying and just worshiping. And, and I know that God is gonna lead us in that way this morning, but I encourage you, for the Jacobs in the room of which I am and was and continue to struggle be, I am one. Maybe the Jacobs in the room will say, Lord, bless me. I just don't want to let go of you until you bless me. Let me pray, and I'm going to hand over to Pastor Phil. Lord, I thank you that you are so inclusive that you say all who are heavy and weary, heavy burdened and weary, come to me. Lord, I thank you that we can come to you and we can be honest with you. That you know our intimate thoughts. You know our struggles. You know what's really going on. God, I, I pray that those in the room, though, that are just trying to run away from you, that God, just like that prodigal son, that, Lord, there would be a coming to their senses. <laughs> and they would turn and embrace you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you love us so much that you relentlessly pursue us. And Lord, for those who are Christians, maybe Christians for many years, Lord, have just grown lukewarm and cold. That, Lord, that they would just come to you with their scars, with their limps, hand them over to you, confess And I thank you, Jesus, that freedom comes. Forgiveness is available. Beautiful blessing. Thank you, Lord.